Welcome to the Save the World edition of Political Traction. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. On October 31st, world leaders will be jetting into Glasgow, Scotland for a UN climate change conference like no other. With mounting pressure from constituents to enact real change and hesitancy from governments to lock in climate commitments, all eyes, ears and hearts will be on policymakers to further global climate initiatives. But what happens behind the scenes of one of the world's most important conferences? From mitigating cases of heat stroke to family photo mishaps and face plants into main courses at the leaders dinner, we learn that the show must go on on this episode. My guest today is Sharon Cower. She's the former deputy chief of staff to finance minister Bill Morneau and currently the director of strategic initiatives and public affairs at Clearco. In 2018, Sharon had a front row seat to the mayhem that is G7 planning and gives us a special lens into what it's like to champion these hosting duties. This is Political Traction. All right, well, friends of the pod, we have a very special guest with us today, uh, an old friend of mine from politics of your, we worked together, I met this woman on the John Tory mayoral campaign in 2014. Um, she was a machine who was like organizing things and bossing everybody around. Uh, and she's gracious with her presence today. Uh, Sharon Cower, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I was telling funny stories out of school about when I worked for the environment minister and we were at a UN conference in Bali and it was an unmitigated shit show from like end to end for weeks so two weeks straight. And I was on, I was on the Ottawa team and there was like a whole in like team with the minister. And then I thought it'd be fun to talk to somebody who's been through this and organize one of these. So Sharon is here because Sharon in 2018, organized a G7 finance minister's meeting and also kind of played party to the leaders meeting. So Sharon, as we, as outsiders see these meetings happen and all the, you know, the family photo and all that kind of stuff, can you just take me through like what's happening behind the scenes? How do these things start? Like when you were told when you were working, you were for Bill Morneau at the time, like you get to organize a G7 leaders meeting. You're like, how do you, how does it even begin? Oh yeah. There's so many different pieces that go into it. And, and you just reminded me of a really funny story with what I'll come back to on the family photo side, which I'm mortified to this day, but basically we did, we did uh so for people who don't know how G7, G20 meetings work, there's a rotation. So different countries that are members, it rotates every year. So one year it's France, one year it's Italy, one year it's Canada, the U S. Um, so we had the great pleasure in 2018 of hosting G7 in Canada. Um, and my point of reference to G7 was, and I'm not sure if this is the one that you were involved in, but it was in, I think it was G20 in Toronto and like things being burnt up and, and like things on fire and like people throwing horse crap through windows um, on, in downtown Toronto. So that was my, I think I had the fear of God put into me on what like anarchists and activists can do to it. And you want to have a productive meeting. So in, when we started planning our meeting, um, it was, I would say it took about a year, about maybe a solid year to plan it from top to end. There's so many, there's so many different things that go into it. But um, I remember getting a call from the prime minister's office saying, hey, finance is going to be hosting it. Um, start to figure it out. And me, of course, being me, I'm like, all right, let's hit the ground running. Let's figure out where we're going to do it, how we're going to do it. And I had remembered that a couple of the finance ministers had said, we want something quintessential Canadian. Um, and it was actually the U.S. Secretary of the Treasury, Stephen Mnuchin at the time, who was like, you know, I love the mountains. It would be so cool if we can do this in Whistler when you guys host it. And it just happened to be that 
Whistler has this peak Canadiana vibe. Um, it's not what the rest of Canada looks like, but it has this, the mountains, it's got everything that kind of gives you the Canadian feel if you're coming into Canada. Um, so we went on to Planet and it took me a good solid year to do so, but it was not a, a straightforward path whatsoever. Um, the prime minister's office and I think I'm out of politics now, so I'm totally okay to <laughs> share the things that I thought worked and didn't work. But the prime minister's office at the time had this wild idea. They wanted to do G7 differently. And when I say differently, they everyone wants to do a G7. Agriculture wants to do one. Foreign affairs wants to do one. Transport wants to do one. But let's be honest, you don't need to have the transport ministers from different countries meeting together in G7 format. Um, they might disagree, but they don't. <laughs> so when when they decided who was going to host it. So finance, obviously, which is, I would say the second next to leader summit finance and then foreign affairs are probably the next most important ones. Um, and I would say nowadays environment as well, but um, they had come up with this kooky idea to have ministries paired together to host them. So for us, they said, okay, finance, you guys are going to host it with development. And okay, <laughs> I think there's a lot of parallels and intersectional points that you can say between finance and development, but we are two very different paths and two very different scales of ministries. And it was a disaster in planning because it's like, we had our, we had our mandate of what the finance ministers wanted. They wanted to talk about tax. They wanted to talk about um, how to stop like, like everything that's bad that's happening in the financial sector and to prevent like there's just so many things and development obviously wanted to focus on how do we help developing countries and how do we like have had like what can we donate to countries and help them and like I don't think of development and finance to go hand in hand but they decided to do so um which was an added I would say a little pickle that they threw in there because um you have a table with people like the secretary um the treasury secretary from the U.S. and you have people like Christine Lagarde and what they do is at G7 meetings they have you would think that it's just the G7 that attends it but they also invite on parallel like some of the third world countries developing countries emerging countries to participate to see what's happening there so I had some seriously serious come to Jesus moments with people about like what agendas and stuff should look like because we wanted this to be meaningful and it was not an easy path whatsoever, but we ended up doing something I, what I think is pretty successful um, from my perspective, at least. And there was just so many things that went into it that I would never think of, like security. Um, we had our G7 around the same time that the TMX pipeline was being approved. It actually got approved. And then the next day, I remember being in Whistler, organizing things and then having to fly to Calgary because we were doing a big speech in Calgary and then flying back to Whistler with the minister to then start off um, the G7 meetings. So it was just a lot of everything. I would say there was a lot of moments that we're a bit challenging and trying to figure out what we can do and how we can do it. Um, you have to negotiate agendas. There's communiques that happen, but most of all, we wanted this to be a good experience for like everybody who was participating. So like my experience, like, and I will say we were the Harper government and like environment minister after, um, after Rona Ambrose sort of came in. Right. So we were, that was peak inconvenient truth. Like we were just loathed. We, so we walked into this UNFCC, climate change thing in Bali and got like the fossil of the day award like five days in a row um there were people like stalking around photojournalists like stalking around the pool to see if the minister was in like shorts so he was wearing like all the, the rule was all staff had to wear suits all the time which in Bali was insane so it caused like one of our bureaucrats to like get heat stroke and he like puked into like a pot 
like during an event like it was just like it was just a it was like a fucking crazy crazy time and i i remember i remember like i had a chart on my wall which had like time in canada time in bali and my colleague in bali like i would work all day long and we would get like me requests and then we just like hand it off and then he would call me at, like 6 a.m and we would just it was just like two weeks of insanity so but from like your side of it from like is that is that chaos common or was that just a feature of the fuckery that was our office um no listen I'll say there was a lot of tears. There was a lot of like nervous breakdowns during our G7. There was, I think the biggest challenge we had was, so finance as a ministry is a very independent ministry where we kind of do our own thing. We have our own international function. We can plan it. I could say dealing with GAC on this was a complete clusterfuck. It was GAC, GAC for like with global affairs. Um, okay. They they wanted to control it. They wanted to plan it. So you had a bunch of bureaucrats who had the best of meanings to make things well, but it was a power struggle. Like we were fighting every day. Um, like the arguments I was having was, okay, well, who's going to sit next to Christine Lagarde as her counterpart? And they're like, well, this, this director general from Nairobi is going to be the person who sits next to her. And I'm like, no, like, that the director general is not even the deputy. It's not even the ADM. It's not even the associate minister. It's like, it's basically someone who is the equivalent of like six levels down. And it's not meant to be hierarchical at all, but it, there is a level of respect. So there were so many fights about that. Um, we had something similar that you did where you were kind of an Ottawa as an HQ. We had it actually in Whistler in a room and I was not allowed in that room. <laughs> I was told by officials like, you are not allowed in this room because I'd walk in and I'd be like, why is this not happening? Why are we not doing this? What's going on here? Um, and it was, there was a lot of tears. I'd say there was a lot of tears and a lot of staff, not from me because I like, I was like this, I have a vision. I'm going to make this happen. But there was a lot of people who found it super challenging. Like I remember one of my colleagues was made a liaison officer to Christine Lagarde and the officials told her, just go to Vancouver airport and just wait there for her. And, and you'll come back with her. And she's like, where in Vancouver airport do I go? And they're like, just go, to the air, just, just go to the airport. We'll figure it out. And like, I remember her being in tears. She's like, what am I doing? Like, I'm in the middle of an airport. I, how am I supposed to find Christine Lagarde? Like, which entrance is she coming from? And so there was a lot of dysfunction in the planning, but that's, which I would say is normal when planning big events like this. But like, we had to coordinate security vehicles from like going from Vancouver to Whistler. And then my biggest fear was because TMX was just approved the day before that, like there would be blockades. Getting to Whistler, there's one highway to get up there. When you go through Squamish territory, there's literally one way to get in and one way to get out. And I was like freaking out by telling folks, I'm like, we are going to have, all we need is 10 people to block the highway with signs saying no oil and like you're killing the environment and no one can get in. But that so didn't was, happen? No, it, it didn't happen on the highway, luckily, which would have been really dangerous. It did happen on site. Um, and we, we, we mitigated it. Like it was... I would say it was part of the experience. We, we've had that. I remember when we were uh, at the leader summit for in Charlevoix for G7 as well with Trump and folks there, there was a lot of protests. There was a lot of security issues. So you're going to, I think it's, it's part of the, it's part of the process, but anyone who thinks organizing one of these is easy, it's just, it is by far not. There is just so much that goes into it. And what, in like obviously you just mentioned Trump and other kind of name dropping some other folks. So what are the what are the leaders like? Is there kind of certain countries that have, you know, the U.S. behaves in this way in these things, and like Canada's like like you know, and we all have stereotypes about our countries. But okay. there's are there ways that certain countries function or expect the. I was like, oh god, the Italians are always late. Like what what is what's that like behind the scenes? Um, okay. Or does it vary a lot by leader? 
I'd say that this was always a rolling joke that me and the minister always had is that we'd walk into these meetings and it would literally be me, him, and maybe one other person. So literally three of us, no security, no nothing, just us like willy nilly walking around, um, representing a country. And then you'd see the US or like Japan walk in and they've got like a posse of like 30 people security. And I would always just say, I'm like, do people think we're not serious? Like, are we, are we kind of a joke because we only come in with a couple of people? And I guess I, and I think there's a testament to who we are as Canadians. And I don't know if this, this is how it was in the Harper days, like how many people would go like, but I never, I've never seen past governments operate with big posses and stuff, but it was definitely like when we go to these meetings internationally, Canada gets like five passes to take their staff with them. But like the U S gets like maybe 80, 90, like it's just the scale of what people receive. I think it's historically different, but then again, like U.S. Secretary of Treasury definitely has more security risks than the Canadian like finance minister would. But that being said, things are changing. So there was a lot of that. There was a lot of, I would say, a lot of sensitive um, personalities at times. Like, So you always wanted to be cognizant of making sure that people are being treated with respect and getting the white glove, uh, white glove experience. But um, I, to be honest, the group that we had was a pretty, like a pretty good group. So we had all of the G7 and then we had um, IMF, which was Lagarde. We had Mark Carney. We had a couple other folks and they were, they were all pretty good. Like they were all laid back. They were a bunch of friends. And I'll, I remember, and I'm mortified by this story to this day, but we were trying to take the family photo and um, I had set it up in a beautiful location and there's mountains in the backdrop and I couldn't get their attention. They're all like just hanging out, laughing, like just chilling out and talking. And I had everyone set up and I'm like, we're on a very tight schedule and no one would listen. And finally I'm like, guys, hey guys, let's go. And I was just like screaming, hey guys. And they finally were just, and Cardi just walked up. He's like, okay, ma'am. And they all kind of sit down there. And I remember that night we had hosted a dinner and Christine Lagarde was like one of the last people who were arriving. And I went downstairs to escort her upstairs and she stopped me. We were in this beautiful museum. She stopped me and she's like, young lady, I have never heard somebody refer to a group of G7 finance ministers and others as, hey guys. <laughs> I was looking at her and I was like, I'm so sorry. She's like, they don't listen anyways. Good for you. And I was just like, <laughs> I was just like so mortified that Christine Lagarde, the epitome of like professional women would tell me that I was referring to them as, Hey guys, but, um, listen, things kind of, things come up and go. We had a, a very unfortunate incident at our, um, leader's dinner, uh, or our finance minister's dinner, where one of the guest spouses went face first into her meal and passed out. Oh, wow. I remember I was I, at this point, I'm like, I'm gonna have a drink. I'm just gonna relax. And all of a sudden I hear screaming and I run across the room and I see her fl- face flat in her plate and me running into like help her mode, like literally drop everything, go pull her out, get her on the ground. Poor woman skirt is up her like wazoo. Oh. And I'm just like trying to like cover her up and give her privacy. And I'm like checking her. I'm like, and I'm, and we had about maybe 80 or 90 security people downstairs who were like from different countries and like the fed and the U S and I'm screaming. Now just imagine me at this very lovely event, screaming at the top of my lungs, screaming, like someone get nine, one, one, nine, one, one, nine, one, one. And, um, and then it was actually Christine Lagarde who helped me carry her downstairs. And oh, no way. What are, where were all the dudes? What's this? Thank you. It was, and the funniest was the U.S. I just remember, I remember the U.S. running, like the U.S. security guys running upstairs. And I think they thought something happened. Like there was some sort of like issue. And the U.S. carries these pretty hardcore, um, 
like if there's a gas, if there's some sort of gas or something in the air and they want to protect their guy, they put these things over their head. And they're these like weird little shields that like cover your head completely and protect you from getting anything in and out. So you see them running up with these and I'm standing there. I'm just like, can one of you guys help us? So we, we get her downstairs. I lay her down on the sofa there. And I'm just like literally on the floor with Lagarde is like holding her hand and we're just waiting for the ambulance to come. And, and uh, I remember going back upstairs after and be like, please carry on. So I would say expect the unexpected to happen. And, you know, obviously you're in the, you're in the finance minister's office in Canada. You guys are hosting, um, you know, when we went into this, it was very interesting. Like there's news that happens there and there's news that happens back home. Obviously you're doing this domestically, but politically, politically for when I was involved, like this stuff was a big deal just because it re- we were a newer government and it reflected on us in the international stage. How important are these events, do you think politically, like domestically, or do you think most people just don't care and it's more of an international, like, because sometimes I think people view the UN stuff and the G7 stuff, it's a bunch of schmancy chatting and like the stuff is pre-negotiated, so what's the damn point? But I assume there is like quite a bit of utility, at least I know of, around the pull sides and sort of the background, like those relationships are pretty critical. So can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, like you'll hear a lot. I, I hear this a lot from the NDP, actually, whenever they're just like, why do you need to have these summits? Like, just do it virtually, do whatever. And listen, I think COVID has taught us that things can be done virtually, but um, there is a lot of benefit to actually having these in-person collisions that happen at these meetings. Like, a lot of the stuff is pre-negotiated. The communique is worked on through officials and all that stuff. Um, so it's kind of like nothing crazy is going to happen, but the side conversations that happen, the pull aside conversations, the relationship building that happens is so vital in like good diplomacy and, and foreign policy. Like foreign affairs is not solely owned by the foreign affairs, like by GAC. It is owned by every minister who has a foreign relationship with different countries and different departments and stuff like that. So I personally found that it was, it's always been super helpful. There's been like even throughout NAFTA, whenever you'd go to these meetings, so many discussions on NAFTA would happen as pull asides that were beneficial. There was negotiations that would happen as pull asides that were beneficial. Now, is is there a bit of like showiness to having these meetings to say you're doing them? Of course there is. Um, but it's kind of it's kind of part of the process. Like everyone has to do it. So you can't just you can't half-ass it and you have to like put full, I would say, power behind doing it. Like I know the year we hosted it, um, I believe it was Minister Freeland at the time who was foreign affairs minister decided to host it at her house um, in Toronto for her. And it caused like such an uproar with officials. And like, uh, listen, I understand. I understand some of the challenges from a security perspective. It's not like you can do it. And because it's her style, she likes to make homies. She likes to like have people in her space and just kind of like do it over like a cup of tea type of thing. But Jesus Christ, it drove like the security aspect of it crazy. And it was like, where do, where do all the staff go? Where do all the supporting people go? So there's, there's challenges to it, but Hey, she did it. And, uh, like nothing catastrophic happened, but I would say like you, there's value in doing these. And I think that we'll have to do them forever as long as we go, just because there is an importance of like kind of showing yourself as a country, what you can do and just being kind of serious. So as we watch these leaders summits and the summits and, you know, the, you know, UK making a big deal and Prince Charles saying everybody should come, blah, blah, blah. Um, what do you think of somebody who's been inside, who's organized it, 
as like, what should we be watching for to see if there's any significant like change or stuff progress at this, at this meeting, which, what, what are the clues or the keys that we should look for? So I don't think there are truly any, um, to look out for. I think that while Trump was president, there was a lot, um, while we were in Charlevoix, there was a lot of heated moments on the sidelines with, with folks like president Trump at the time. Um, but Outside of that, like, unless there's controversy, I don't think there's much of watching anything. Like you watch for, like people want to see the family photos and people want to see like what the discussions were about and did they achieve anything? But it's it's not a very sexy thing for people to sit around a coffee table and be like, you know, at the G7 meeting today, they talked about like <laughs> BEPS agreements and stuff like that. So like, I, I don't, like I personally don't, I think that if there's controversy around it, like there was with G20 in Toronto and people going kind of ham around lighting things on fire and stuff like that, that is a story you talk about, but the general agenda and what you're trying to achieve, like no one's going to talk about it or no, like the general public won't care about it. And can I, so you mentioned the Trump piece. So obviously I think there's like, a, there's a rhythm to these, right? There's full sides and people know and family photos and all that kind of shit. And then I think occasionally you get a disruptor, I'm guessing, and Trump was a big disruptor. So just, I know we, I have, we both have to go shortly, but um, I would be remiss if I did not ask you. So what was that, what was that disruptive factor? Was it him? Was it his staff? Like what happened? Oh no, it was him. It was 100% him. And it was like, I remember we were in Charlotte one. He had decided at one point to get up and go to a fast food place or something. And like, didn't tell the organizers and literally the motorcade just pulled up and like the streets are shut down. Like there's a heavy security and it's just like, let's go. And then the whole agenda gets thrown off or he doesn't agree with something. And like, there's this, there's this, I would say historic picture that everyone has probably seen of um, Angela Merkel kind of just like putting her hand down in front of him. And that was at Charlevoix. And it was like, cause he was being disruptive. He was kind of being himself and um, stuff like that. Like it, I have not seen that happen outside, outside of that year that he participated. Um, so some of it happens here and there, but for the most part, it's, I would say it's pretty, like, it seems like it's really important and you put a lot of effort and work into it, but it's not a, it's not a newsmaker. Like people will say that G7 would host, was hosted in Canada. And these are some of the things we're talking about. What does it mean for like global partnerships and blah, blah, blah. But beyond that, it's kind of, I would say business as usual. All right. All right. Well, thank you, my friend, for coming on and chatting. And uh, we were talking before we started recording. Sure, and I actually didn't see each other physically in like two years plus. So um, we are overdue. To, I'm to out of politics together. and I am free for drinks now. So let's do it. Excellent. Those are my favorite. Those are two favorite things I love. So that's great. Um, well, thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing all your insights, Sharon. Amazing. Thanks for having me. Political Traction is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high-stakes public affairs firm. Our show is produced by John Gardner, Kimberly Draypack, Matthew Barnes, and Thomas Ashcroft. A very special thank you goes out to this week's guest, Sharon Cower. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate us online wherever you find your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Traction Poly. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. We'll see you next Friday.